0: MS sucks. I know. I've lived with it since 1998, and man, it's been one hell of a roller coaster. When people ask, How are you doing? I say, Fine. Great. Really? Most of the time, it's a lie, because we're programmed to hide our struggles. I'm not a doctor or a researcher. I'm just a normal guy talking from experience. And let me tell you, Sharing those experiences with other people living with MS has made my life a hundred times better. So get ready for a belly-up-to-the-bar, honest conversation with real people who at first hesitate to tell the truth about life with MS, but eventually let it all hang out. I'm your host, Jim Fairchild. How you really doing? Welcome to How You Really Doing. My name is Jim Fairchild, and I have a lot to share with you today. It's been a while since I've recorded my last podcast, and I've been going through a lot of personal transformation over the last couple years. To be honest, I've had a very hard time talking about it, and right now I know it's time to get my voice out. I've been working on overcoming myself, the limiting thoughts and habits of being sick that I've had stuck in my body for so long. I'm changing my story and working on who I really want to be. I've never told my story on my own podcast, and I think it's time for that. First, I want to let you know that I've put a bunch of links in the show notes for YouTube videos and other podcasts. I've gone through a paradigm shift of how I view disease and how my body has an ability to heal. There is so much knowledge available out there, and YouTube has been an amazing classroom for me. I want to share what I've found and invite you to go down the rabbit hole on your own and discover what works for you an open mind and curiosity for a better life, have allowed me to find a path that feels right. The first video I encourage you to watch is the video of one of my guests today, Scott Sunderland, who was completely paralyzed to where he couldn't even blink his eyes. Today, he is living a full life and I'll be talking with him about his experience. My other guest is M. Hollis, Scott's wife, who has overcome a 10-year addiction to pain pills and together, along with their third partner, Simon Harris, they have created the Freedom Project. For the last two months, I've been taking their course called Beyond Limits because I wanna free myself and tap into my body's full potential. It's been a journey to get here and to find the way to be honest with myself about how I am really doing. I'm gonna tell you my diagnosis story a bit differently. I'm not gonna focus on the drugs or every occurrence as my symptoms progressed. I want to focus on the emotions involved in the process. That's where I find the healing lies. The words, you have MS, came to me in 1998 when I was 28 years old. Seems like a whole other lifetime ago now. I have traversed the ups and downs of the relapsing remitting cycle. I've tried everything possible to feel better. Diet, exercise, pills, counseling, acupuncture, reading, research, etc., etc., so on and so on. I've always been open to trying new things, looking for the one that would give me relief, end my fatigue, allow my mind to function like I knew it was capable of. Since the doctors told me I had MS, it seems like every interaction was tainted with the thought that I'm different. Who do I tell? How much can I do? Am I doing the right things? Etc., etc., so on and so on. Early on, asking for help was very difficult for me. It felt like failure, so I pushed myself a lot to feel like I was enough. I've been fortunate to have support from my family and friends. I have been very involved with the MS Society, the MS Walk and Bike MS. I have scores of journals about what is working and what's not, countless checklists of what I should do and what I shouldn't, yet my abilities keep dropping away. Throughout it all, the aspect of me that was there every single time is my thoughts. Every time there's been a big shift in my illness, there's been an emotional trigger, something that happened externally that added stress, or a conditioned pattern of thought that kicked in and kept the symptoms going out of habit. I'll explain more of that part later. I can see it happening throughout my marriage and in my MS-shortened career. My career was in sports entertainment, and I worked with the Colorado Rockies, Denver Broncos, and CU Buffaloes to name a few. I was involved in in in-game entertainment, so everything you saw on the Jumbotron and heard during the game was a part of my job. I got to be on the field with my favorite team, the Denver Broncos. I got the -the behind-the-scenes look into the sports world, and man, I loved it. I produced, wrote, and edited the Gary Barnett Coaches Show for the University of Colorado. I got to travel with the football team and see different stadiums in the Big 12. I worked hard and pushed myself to be enough. Pushed to overcome my physical and mental limitations. Throughout my life, I have not been good at resolving issues as they come up, either at work or at home. I've had a hard time deciphering my emotions and voicing them. I end up stuffing my feelings, which has been detrimental to my well being and happiness. One drug I used to try to cope with everything was alcohol. Beer was my go to and my crutch. For all the good times I've had drinking and hanging out with friends, what I tried to cover up short term was never better in the long run. Eventually, I wasn't able to keep up mentally or physically, so I got out of the sports world to find a job that I could handle. I was juggling work with a demanding home life and my two young daughters. At times, my mind was incoherent, foggy, and steeped in guilt and doubt. Fatigue is my arch enemy and was the shadow behind any light. I lost trust in myself because it seemed like, when I tried my hardest is when I fell on my face. I ended up getting fired from two jobs consecutively, even though I was trying my damnedest. In 2007, we decided to move from Colorado to Vancouver, Washington and start our own company. We had some very good times and also a lot of stressful ones. When something good would happen, I felt tethered in my excitement, reluctant to celebrate, waiting for the other shoe to drop. That is no fun to live that way. A big part of adapting to chronic illness is creating your life again when something bad happens. When I had an MS exacerbation, I had to reframe my perspective and start again. We call that our new normal, and as a family, we did this repeatedly and on a regular basis. In 2013, I had a major exacerbation that caused me to stop working and stop driving. Again, that was another big shift for the family and another new normal. To say MS has been a hit to my manhood is a massive understatement. It's been a hit to my ability to provide and to participate in life the way I want to. Each time something would happen, I was struck hard with feelings of guilt, not being enough and unworthiness. As relapses became closer together, these feelings were more prevalent. The less I was able to do, the more I got stuck in my head. I remember working with my personal life coach and in one of our first meetings, I said I had a hole in my heart that I can't fix. Knowing what I know now, that hole was love for myself. I didn't have it. Don't know if I ever really did have it at that point. I didn't know I was doing it, but I was wrapping my heart with protection to avoid more hurt. In 2016, I went through divorce, and it's been stuck in my body. I've had a very hard time talking about it. MS played a role, but it wasn't the only factor. Different perspectives of life and very different communication styles were at play. I was in a codependent relationship, and we relied on the other person to balance our emotions. That's not healthy. I gave up my energy, my voice, and my power in order to try to maintain harmony. The shining spot is that we created the two most amazing people I know on this planet, and I wouldn't change anything to risk not knowing my daughters. We did the best we could with what we knew for a very long time. In the end, I feel like we ran out of love and we ran out of try. Ultimately, in my attempt to be whole, I had to make the hardest decision of my life and then find the courage to follow through with it. The divorce process took years and it felt like the stress was never ending. Communication was a struggle. It caused massive headache and heartache for me. I couldn't find a resolution no matter what I tried, and I was banging my head against the wall. I wasn't being heard. She didn't read what I wrote or listen to what I said. My body changed a lot as I was figuring out my new life. When I moved out of the house and into my apartment, I could walk with a walker, get into bed, and take a shower on my own. But over the course of three years or so, my abilities dwindled to where I'm needing help with a lot of daily activities now, like getting dressed and showering. I've always tried to exercise as much as possible, getting to the pool as often as I could, but I was in emotional turmoil that brought me down. I avoided it as long as possible, but I transitioned into a wheelchair in 2017, a move that allowed me to move more safely physically, but was another kick in the gut emotionally. I've been in survival mode big time, but through it all, remaining independent has been a very important goal of mine. And I've done it. I've made it through 100% of my bad days. Here's my paradigm shift. In my search to feel better and to be my best self, I found Dr. Joe Dispenza on YouTube about two years ago. This led me down a rabbit hole of discovery. He shows the possibility our bodies have to heal. Yes, I said heal. Dr. Joe is a best-selling author of books like Breaking the Habit of Being Yourself, You Are the Placebo, And supernatural. His expertise is in the intersection of the fields of neuroscience, epigenetics, and quantum physics. He's in the 2004 film What the Bleep Do We Know, which blew my mind when I first saw it. And more recently, he's been in the documentary Heal. He also has his own series on the Gaia network called Rewired. And if you're reading his books and you want a visual of what he's talking about, about his concepts, that is a awesome series. In 1986, he was in the biking portion of a triathlon when he got hit by a truck going 55 miles an hour, shattering his spine in multiple places. Top surgeons had told him he would never walk again and that he needed to get spinal surgery. His knowledge as a chiropractor and his gut told him otherwise. With meditation and a diligent focus on mental rehearsal, he was walking again 10 weeks later. Today, he travels the world sharing his experience and the science he has been using to create a formula on how to do it. He shows how our thoughts create reality. He scientifically traces how thoughts become emotions. Emotions turn to chemicals and how those chemicals affect our body. Low vibration emotions like guilt, fear, and shame release the chemicals that cause dis-ease. Elevated emotions like love, joy, and happiness release chemicals that heal. He actually shows video of nerves growing back and explains the process of creating new neural pathways. I have watched hundreds of testimonials of people overcoming themselves and their illnesses. Cancer, blindness, Parkinson's disease, heart disease, GI issues, you name it, and people have overcome it. And yes, multiple sclerosis. People have gotten out of wheelchairs and walked. Watch the interview I posted below with Danica Patrick. He talks about a woman who has been in a wheelchair for 10 years, and she not only got up and walked, but a week later she was doing yoga. That's the transformation I'm looking for. It's the practice of meditation, breathwork, and mental rehearsal that's going to get me there. I was introduced to meditation about five years ago. At first, it was very hard to drop the thoughts and not think about my daily life. It has taken diligent practice to not think about my legs when they're spasming, my bladder issues, or the doubt and wondering if I'm doing it right. That's the natural process. Meditation literally means to become familiar with. It is the art of going within to understand who we truly are. It starts with the breath, which gets us out of survival mode. I have learned so much from Dr. Joe's work about how the breath affects my body and the benefits of slowing down getting out of my head. It is a time to reset our bodies and change the chemicals that we introduce. It's critical for healing. Dr. Joe says there's no such thing as a bad meditation. It's all the practice of personal transformation. It's about progress, not perfection. Being in a wheelchair is so constrictive and meditation has helped me to feel free at times to get out of being so tired and being stuck. I have experienced freedom from my body and gained energy that I so desire. There is so much benefit to this practice and it's not just about the music and wearing a mask. Dr. Joe teaches how to use the breath in daily life. So we do meditations that are sitting, standing, walking, and lying down. It's about retraining your mind and we are so powerful to do so. There's a couple of Dr. Joe's concepts that I wanna share because they were keys for me to understand and overcome myself lessons I think about when I'm having a hard time. The first one is about survival mode. Imagine a gazelle on the African savanna. He gets chased by a lion. The gazelle's survival instincts kick in. Chemicals are released and he escapes the danger at hand. Animals will then shake out the stress. Five minutes later, the gazelle is back to grazing, not thinking about the lion. Humans, on the other hand, are the only animals that relive stress over and over again something bad happens and we think about it talk about it and relive it each time we do that the same survival chemicals are released in the body survival chemicals that aren't supposed to be in our bodies long term and the thing is there's no lions to be afraid of stresses come in the shape of emails bills bosses jobs spouses ex-spouses the past etc etc it is a scientific fact that the hormones of stress Downregulate genes and cause disease. It is also a fact that we can release the hormones of stress by thought alone. So by definition, our thoughts can make us sick. And if that's the case, our thoughts can also make us well. It's a matter of changing the thought processes. Stop scanning the horizon for lions that don't exist. I have been in survival mode for a large portion of my life. My body has been used to the survival chemicals and it's like that's my normal operating mode, but it's not at all. The chemicals become familiar, but they are most definitely not normal. The next concept was hard to grasp at first and even harder to employ. It's about embodying my future self, to feel like it, behave like it, live in the vibrational state of it right here, right now, even though the physical evidence is not yet visible. When I first heard this, it was completely foreign to me, How can I fake it and act like something that I'm not? My arms can barely lift over my head. How am I supposed to feel like I am moving the way I want to? I learned it's not about fake it till you make it. It's more like feel it and become it. Mentally rehearse the thoughts that I wanna have and stay in those. We think 60 to 70,000 thoughts per day and over 90% of those are old programs, patterns of thinking and behaving that are just on autopilot subconscious Many of them are useful like being able to drive a car without having to think about it Many of them though keep us in an old loop repeating our past over and over again As soon as we act from inside a program we copy and paste our past into our present moment and thus Into our future. It's like going into our future by repeating our past This is why awareness is so important when we're fully aware We're in the present moment, and that's where the magic lies. As I dug into Dr. Joe's work, I decided I have to experience a week-long workshop for myself. So I challenged myself to get to Cancun, Mexico in December of 2019. To do this, I had to overcome myself and my bad habits on so many levels. I journaled extensively about who I want to be in the future, how I want to act, feel, and show up in the world. Healthy, strong, and confident. Intriguing, authentic, and powerful are some of the adjectives I use to describe myself. Sometimes this has been excruciatingly frustrating. I have broke down and cried so many times because the desire I have to be whole and full is so strong, and yet here I am, not able to walk or do the things that my future self can do, yet. Yet. A big part of this work is to keep going. It's like I am the initiate, using all the knowledge I have to become the master. I am committed to continually roll forward in my wheelchair until I free myself to take steps forward with my feet. I have not flown for at least three years and I've never flown by myself as a man in a wheelchair. Flying was a practice in patience and trust. I had to completely let go and allow the airplane staff to put me in my seat. Sometimes they didn't know what the heck they were doing and I had to let it go. I used Dr. Joe's formula to breathe and slow my mind down, to get into my heart and operate from my future self. So many pieces came together synchronistically for me to logistically make this trip. I prepared the best I knew how. Then I had to overcome my habit to control and to stress. By keeping those negative thoughts out, I kept my energy up. By the time I got to the resort in Cancun on day one, I'd been traveling for about 16 or 17 hours. I did it. I got there, and I went from doubt to victory. I went from being in my apartment all day, every day, and taking naps on a regular basis to traveling by myself. I met my team, and right away, I was immediately justified as to why I needed to be there. The energy of the group was just absolutely off the charts. I was present, excited, energized. So many things happened this week, I met so many amazing people, and had experiences that are literally beyond words. There's four aspects of the week I'd like to share with you guys. The challenge exercise, the walking meditations, the co-healing sessions, and finding mystical experiences. Dr. Joe's weeklongs are way more than meditation. It's taking the calm we get laying down with a mask on and applying that in real life. One way he does this is with a challenge exercise that stretches beliefs of what we are capable of. My group was chosen to do this on the first full day of the workshop. Imagine climbing up a ladder to a platform 40 feet in the air and then walking across a wobbly 4x4 to get to another platform where you jump and grab a rope. That's what I wanted to do. I have seen it in the videos, and to be honest, I went to this workshop to walk. I had been envisioning climbing that ladder and walking on that platform. But I wasn't there yet. Instead, I got help transferring from my wheelchair to another wheelchair that was hung on ropes. I was swung 20 feet in the air to touch these balloons that they hung there. I learned my first big lesson of the workshop. Surrender. My expectations caused resistance between my mind and my body. I felt like I was struggling. I felt the old emotions of not being enough, the letdown of unmet hopes. I was trying to control the situation. And I'm happy to say I recognized my thoughts and the emotions that were stealing my energy. That night, I saw how that exercise was exactly what I needed. It was just right for me. It showed me what I'm capable of, and I overcame myself so I could be open to the next lesson, and they just kept coming. Like I've mentioned, meditation is so much more than closing your eyes and listening to Zen music. It's about regulating your internal environment, becoming familiar with yourself, so that you're aware and conscious if you're in a program or you're acting as your future self. On the last three days of the workshop, we are up at sunrise and at the beach. It was absolutely gorgeous. A thousand people on the beach meditating. This is the walking meditation, and miracles have happened during it. It's all about embracing the emotions of your future, walking as it, feeling it, dreaming as big as you can, and embracing the emotions of your future. In doing so, I am firing and rewiring new neurological circuits in my brain. For three days, I had a volunteer, John, with me to support me when it was my time to get up and walk. All three mornings, I went with an open heart, with the intention to get out of my chair. The meditations are powerful beyond words. Driving music and Dr. Joe urging me to become who I want to be. Walk as that person. Did I physically get up out of my chair and walk? Not yet. Was I frustrated and discouraged at times? Yes. Why not me? What I did is practice personal transformation teaching my body what it's like to be healthy i am 51 years old and i have decades of old patterns and thoughts that my body is used to addicted to so what i learned is as i continually embody my future self my physical body will eventually catch up also the last three days are the coherent healing sessions more magic happens here this is where one person a healee lays down and is surrounded by eight healers. This is called the cage. The healers focus their attention, their energy, and healing intention on the person in the cage. The amount of energy that flows through the room during these is palpable, and it is an honor to be chosen. I was fortunate enough to be chosen twice. Literally, I cried both times, feeling like someone else deserves it more than me. When I was in the cage, I didn't get out of my wheelchair. I reclined all the way back and surrendered. I let go as much as possible to let the energy in. And boy, did it flow through me. When energy moves through the body, I would contort and jump and move in all kinds of ways. At one point, I remember both hands reaching up and tearing the shield away from my heart. My entire body was filled with light and I saw a lightning bolt in every one of my cells. A lot of what happened is beyond words. I saw things and felt things that are hard to describe. Each time it ended, I felt energized, clean, like I was living in a completely new body. If my body were a computer, then this was like the hard drive being defragged. I'm getting new software installed and getting a version update. That's the way I felt, and I still do. I've always had a feeling in my gut that there's more to life than what meets the eye. I've had a short stint where I found a church that really resonated with me, but overall, I'm not a churchgoer or a religious person. I feel very spiritual, and I have been searching for that higher power, wanting to experience it. At the same time, there's a part of me that is reluctant, conditioned to unbelieve. When I hear somebody say they found God or come to Jesus, that hits me wrong for some reason. It's like the words are a mockery of something magnificent. And yet, throughout my life, I have repeated those words in the same mocking tone sometimes, conditioned to resist what I don't understand. For the first time in my life, as I've gone down this rabbit hole with Dr. Joe as a catalyst, I've begun to understand what God means to me. I've given myself the freedom not to worry about what others think. I want to know for myself what I believe, what I can draw faith from. Dr. Joe does an amazing job describing infinite intelligence. He says, it keeps our heart beating hundreds of thousands of times per day, creates over 60 million cells every minute, and organizes hundreds of thousands of chemical reactions in one cell every second, just to name a few. It is also the same intelligence that creates supernovas in distant galaxies, that keeps the planets rotating around the sun, and that brings the lily into bloom. He says that science is the contemporary language of mysticism, and in explaining the divine from this perspective has allowed it to sink into my understanding without skepticism or mockery. To take it a step, no, a, a giant leap forward is the mystical transcendental experiences that I have been very fortunate enough to witness in my meditations. One of the most profound meditations I've ever had is when I met Jesus for the first time. I was doing a guided meditation where I was standing underneath a large tree and a man in plain clothes approaches me. I understand and I agree in my heart that this is Jesus. When I looked into his eyes, everything shimmered around him. Every air molecule, blade of grass, every cell in my body became absolute, utter, and unconditional love. A love so profound that I immediately understood how one person can change the world. I haven't told many people about this and I feel it's important to share because it is changing my perspective of what love is. It's changing my perspective of what I see in the world and how I see it. I had multiple experiences with Jesus when I was in Cancun, and each one was magnificent. On the beach, during a walking meditation, I was pushing myself to get out of my chair. I had my feet on the ground, and I was trying to stand up, struggling to stand up. I felt a presence come around from my right shoulder and stand right in front of me. I knew it was Jesus. I thought, great, this is it. I'm going to walk. It didn't happen. I looked up at him and he simply said, I am here when you are ready. I thought, well, I am ready right now, but apparently I wasn't. I consider Jesus a close friend of mine now. Finding myself and the divine within me means I am never alone. When I breathe into my heart and I think about my future self and who I want to be, I remember the calm, the peace, and the strength that I feel when I am in the sweet spot of getting beyond myself. No matter what your beliefs are, I wish everybody could experience the love I felt when I'm dancing with the divine. The world would be a better place in my eyes, and everybody would be more healthy. Love is worth that. Loving myself has filled the hole that I've had in my heart for years, because the heart is where it's at. And when I can stay there, things go well in my life. There's one other awesome experience I want to mention. I danced when I was in Cancun. Every day, I let the music flood my body and I moved in ecstasy. Before each session, everybody gets together in front of the stage to enjoy the music. I would plant my wheelchair down right in the middle and get surrounded by so many people sharing connection with me. The beautiful thing was my wheelchair disappeared, it wasn't there. It was exhilarating and put a huge smile in my heart. You know, it's, it's, it's kind of funny. When I could walk, I wasn't really into dancing much. And now that I'm in this wheelchair, I can't wait to get on the dance floor and shake my body. One of my favorite lines of Dr. Joe's says, when you take the emotional charge out of a memory, it becomes wisdom. So looking back at it a year later, I don't think I was ready to walk when I was in Cancun. I was still stuck in the program. I still had very strong emotional ties to the past, and it doesn't work to operate from those ties. It doesn't work to operate from the past. From what I know now, the limiting beliefs that sat me down in this wheelchair to begin with needed to be resolved more within me. That's where my guests today come in. Scott and M are living proof of personal transformation and healing. In 1991, Scott was paralyzed from head to toe. He couldn't even blink his eyelids. He needed six nurses to help him walk, and today he is living a full life. M overcame a 10 year addiction to pain pills and turned her life around to be full and complete today. For the last two months, I've been taking their course called Beyond Limits i've been entrenched in the experience of healing learning from people who have done it themselves emotionally and physically i am in community of courageous souls and we share our strength by being vulnerable finding freedom by overcoming fear part of this exercise is to pick a name for my future self and that came to me right away i am thor powerful confident and healthy to do this to be thor It's a continual practice to overcome myself, overcome my past, and cut the cords to the emotional memories that have kept me stuck. In order to do this podcast, I've had to truly surrender. I thought surrender meant giving up and giving in. Not at all. Surrender means coming to terms with, and then letting go of, the part of me that wants to be right. The part of me that wants to be in control all the time wants to prove, validate, and vindicate. In order to truly heal, I'm learning that I don't have room in my body for those emotions anymore. They create the chemicals that keep me sick. At times, I have held on to bitterness, anger, and resentment. That's not good for my body. I've been a victim, and I can't heal that way. I've had to surrender and let that all go. I've also learned about forgiveness, which again, is way different than what I thought it was. It doesn't mean I condone the way I allowed myself to be treated in so many instances. Forgiveness is breaking the energetic connection with past people and events. It's providing relief for me and them. Forgiving myself has been huge and it is a true gift to give myself. I didn't know then what I know now. I didn't know how to handle certain situations like I do now. Forgiveness has given me grace and the understanding to know that I am enough and that I am worthy just the way I am. I honestly believe I am in this wheelchair for a reason. I am here to pass on the wisdom I gained from overcoming my past and showing people what is possible. Dr. Joe equates this work to running the four-minute mile. Nobody thought it was possible for a human being to run one mile in less than four minutes. Then Richard Bannister did it in 1954. Only two weeks later, somebody else broke the record, and since then, over 1,400 people have run a sub four-minute mile. Richard Bannister showed people that the impossible is possible. In doing this work to heal, I am laying a footprint, or in my case, a wheel track, down in the collective consciousness for other people to follow. What I've also realized is that walking can look a lot of different ways. It's not only physically getting out of this chair. I want the energy to be myself and the freedom to explore life. Instead of waiting to get out of this chair to start living, I choose to look at this wheelchair as a mode of transportation. And honestly, I haven't always done that. This is a change for me. I haven't liked this wheelchair. But it's not the wheelchair that is the difference. It's the way I feel about it. I want to live in joy, in happiness, I want to live in love. That is walking in so many ways. And when I live that way, from those elevated emotions, I am my future self. I am Thor. When I focus on gratitude and giving and on a daily zest for life, then my body is out of survival mode. In that way, walking becomes a side effect of living in ecstasy. Another very clear example of overcoming myself is that you are listening to this podcast right now. I got this done, and I didn't let excuses, old habits, or fear stop me. Currently, I'm not able to use the mouse with my right hand, and I type by hunting and pecking with one finger on my left hand. I have been writing this podcast for months, and as I overcome myself, I keep going, and I have remembered that I am really damn smart when I don't tell myself otherwise. My big words have been coming back to me. I love words, and being able to use them is empowering for my voice. Part of this course is taking action to overcome myself. It's about being committed and not just interested. If I'm interested in doing this podcast, then I'm easily distracted and derailed. When I'm committed, I will let nothing stop me. I am committed to the betterment of myself. Doing this podcast has been profoundly instrumental in my healing, healing my voice, helping me unwrap my heart from the layers and layers of shield that I have created to protect myself from being hurt again, to make sure I am safe. This course has not been easy and is most definitely not a quick fix. Beyond Limits has reiterated to me how valuable I am and that I am worthy of unequivocally, and irrevocably. Hmm. See, there's my big words. Using the analogy of the lion and the gazelle, I've realized that I can be the lion. I don't have to live in fear. I don't need to constantly scan the horizon for what can hurt me. I've got the heart of a lion, and I choose to live that way. And that is a perfect segue for me to introduce my guests. Scott Sunderland is the motivator during the Beyond Limits course, and has been so powerful for me on my journey. It's amazing to be working with somebody who has overcome paralysis. He knows what it takes and is able to explain it and reiterate it for me so that I keep going. Scott is the author of Finding Ugly, which is his story of overcoming paralysis and overcoming personal tragedy to become his true self and fulfill his dreams. M shares her passion of breath and has taught me why breathing helps so much. She gives a good example of meditation and breathing in this interview, and it's amazing that the simplest of things, breathing, is something that we take so much for granted. Bringing in air into this body is literally the life force that keeps us going, and being conscious of that can relieve stress and bring about calm during any situation. I learned about moving energy through Dr. Joe's work, and M's breath work has expanded upon that for me. I've learned more about how we store energy in our bodies and I have felt the freedom of getting rid of the old to make room for the new. I am so thankful our paths crossed in Cancun. This is not an easy path to be on and it's very hard to do alone. So learning new techniques and having the support that Scott, M, their partner Simon and the amazing Stanton provide is helping me move further towards where I want to be. They're helping me discover again, you know, to realize again, how I am really doing as my fullest self and living in my potential. So with that, here is Scott Sutherland and M. Hollis. I am happy. I'm so happy to have you here. And, you know, I was thinking two months ago, I was stuck. I was wondering what I was going to do. And I was thinking, I need to go deeper with my meditations. I need to do this. I need to do that. And about that time, you guys kept popping up. You guys were on my YouTube feed over and over again. You kept on showing up on Facebook and it was all positive stuff. And so that got me to thinking I should get in touch with them. We talked and I knew that I needed to take your course. And that was even before I saw Scott's video. Mm
1: -hmm. And
0: after seeing Scott's video, I'm like, no wonder we were pulled together. We were drawn together. Mm -hmm. Because your video, Scott, is... Awe-inspiring, inspirational. It's all about possibility in my mind. And you have been in a paralyzed position, not being able to walk. Mm-hmm. And that's where I'm at. And I want to get mm-hmm. out. And you know, I think we're really pulled together for a reason. Uh, no question. No question at all. And if people have not, I'm going to post this video, you know, in the comments. And if they have not watched it yet. I would recommend they watch it before we start talking because it changes watching you and seeing where you were and where you are now, it changes perspective. And I would like to start uh, our conversation. Uh, Scott, if you could take us back to 2001, um, you were stuck. You were in a hospital bed. And I'd love to know what got you there and what got you out.
1: Well, I put myself there. Um, that was the big realization when I was <clears throat> laying in that hospital bed that I did it. I asked for it. So I would say probably four months prior, maybe five months prior, I was um, I own a contracting, you know company. I did then still do. And I was working, <laughs> under a lot of stress. Uh, I had deadlines. I had a lot of people yelling at me. I build commercial projects and it wasn't the best, um, environment. Let's just put it that way. But I built the environment. Um, I knew I, I had created this. I had took way too much on. I was under stress and all I kept thinking, I just wanted to go home and wanted to go to bed and just wanted everything to go away. I wanted the, the people that were you know, um, screaming at me to go away. I wanted the jobs to go away. I wanted everything to go away. And four months later, I was literally laying in the hospital bed and I realized, oh my God, I asked for this. So in between that time, I finished the jobs. I got very, very sick. Um, got better, and finished the jobs, and was back at my house, and I was building an addition on my home, and suddenly just started to feel numb, and two days later, I was in a hospital, um, couldn't really move that much at all, I was extremely weak, and had a doctor in front of me saying, I think you have a very serious very aggressive form of MS. And I was just blown away by that, you know, kind of time stood still in that moment. And what was worse in that moment was that he said, I cannot do anything for you here. I need to get you out of this hospital and someplace that can take care of you. And that's when I knew it's like, uh uh-oh, this this is serious but I I couldn't really I couldn't really really just accept the diagnosis you know what I mean I really there's just no way I kept thinking that there's just there's just no way and when I I was you know taken to another hospital Jefferson in Philadelphia and 12 o'clock it was probably one o'clock in the morning on a Sunday, uh, early you know, or late Sunday night. <clears throat> and this very young female doctor came in and she looked at me and she said, "You have Guillaume barre and we treat it like the cold here, and you're going to be fine." And she walked out. I was, uh, it was the only time I saw her, and through my whole time, of going through what I went through, which was not being not uh, recovering from the cold—that's for sure. Um, yeah. I remembered her voice, and I remember what she said, and I'm, I kept saying, "I'm going to be okay. I'm going to be okay. I'm going to be okay." And it took a year. And you know, in the video, it it, it shows probably the better parts. Um, quite honestly, of me learning to walk and able to... There were a lot of times where the video doesn't capture where I could not move at all. And it was a very, not even a scary time, it was a very depressing time. So, and when I mean can't move at all, I mean, down to my eyelids, I, I couldn't even close my eyelids. So in the thing I think that really saved me, so to speak, and in my mind, and I knew it was me, it was, it was my mind. It, it was It was not a physical thing. I knew that. I knew it was, I put myself there with my thought. And I didn't really share that with anybody. There was really no you know the diagnosis was Guillaume barre but it was a very serious form of it, um, and I just kept hearing that that woman's name. You know that woman's words, saying that we treat it like the cold here, and. But that was not a, a that, cold
0: treatment. What What you went through? Uh, no, it was not a cold treatment. That's for darn no, sure. No, and, and you know uh, you talk about the acupuncture and the. Um, the ups and downs on a daily basis? how did you keep your mental? How did you keep your mind? How did you keep your why going?
1: I didn't, I didn't. Um, The only thing that really saved me because I was a very, a very strong spiritual person and not in God and Jesus and all of that. I wasn't brought up that way. I was brought up in a way of you are your thoughts. Uh, my mom was a very spiritual person and believed in the universe and, and mm-hmm. all of that. And you are the universe. And I I, really turned my back on all of it because I felt like, wow, this led me here. I mean, seriously, you know, I believed yeah. in all of that and it put me in this bed. So, you know, the hell with it. Um, and And I remember, you know, my sister-in-law would bring me the books and, you know, to Deepak Chopra all the ones that I read, Dr. Wayne Dyer, all the ones that I read and before, you know, and I would just say, get it out of here. I, I don't, I don't want any of that because I was angry. Um, extremely depressed mm-hmm. because I was this, I had it all, you know, I had all the movement I had all the ability. I, I skied and, and suddenly it was taken away, but I had, um, I had these pictures on my wall mm-hmm. that uh, my ex-wife had put on the wall and would remind me of who I was so I could find my way back to that person, back to that man. And there was one picture of me standing on a Utah mountaintop and it still gets me emotional today because that picture became my life. It, it wasn't about the bed anymore. It wasn't about, you know, the shower chair. It wasn't about the people that the six people it took to get me to take a step in the parallel bars. It wasn't about any of that. It was about remembering who I was and that picture did that. And I would study this picture like I was studying for, you know, a final exam. It was just to kind of relieve the, the 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 this dire place that I had found myself in. It was to take myself out of it. It was to forget the bed. It was to forget the small room. It was to forget about all the nurses and the aides and everybody that fed me and cleaned me and bathed me and all of that. I lived through that picture. And I remember what it was like to be on that mountain. I I remembered what it was like to feel, you know, the the snow and, you know, to feel my skis move back and forth. And I could see, I could literally see in my mind that the snow on top of my skis and all my boots, and I could feel the sun on my face and the wind at my back. And I could really, I really recreated that moment in, the, in my mind. And I lived it. I didn't have a whole lot to do at that time, except lay in this bed. So mm-hmm. that really became my reality. And it was like, I don't know if there was ever a defining moment where I said, I'm gonna get back there and I'm gonna live. And I, I really don't know if there was ever that moment of, i'm gonna do it um but there was some knowing and maybe it was from that woman's voice saying we treat it like the cold here and you're gonna be fine maybe it was that so again it really was it, it was just i think the thing that really helped me and you know we we could say the acupuncture and all that, because and 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 I'll talk a little bit about that. But I think the thing that really helped me was there really wasn't a diagnosis. There really wasn't a, you know, you have six months to live, or you're going to be like this for the rest of your life. There, it really, there was really no talking about it. To be honest, there really was no mirrors. Um, I really wasn't able to see myself in the mirror. In fact, in the video is the only time I ever saw myself in a mirror. And when you watch the video and you see me look in the mirror, you see the look on my face like, oh shit.
0: Yeah, it's hard to this, see. This is
1: not good. This yeah. is not good. You know what I mean? So
0: Yeah, I, um, I, I, I never like looking at myself in a wheelchair. It, it doesn't yeah. feel like me. Because it's not. Yeah, because, because it's, it's not me. Not. And I don't want to use the word never because I do look good in the mirror sometimes. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Yeah. But, but I know what you mean. And, and watching that video and watching how many people it took to get you to walk and the daily ups and downs uh, you know, I I can feel that and I can feel the claustrophobic feeling that it's like to be stuck in your body. Um, And I mean, it's what, 19 years ago, and I could just see your face. You, you can remember what it feels like to be stuck.
1: Well, and, and it's so emotional. You know, even, yeah. it, it's so emotional for me, remembering that, because, wow, it was so, it was so humbling. It was so humbling. Like, I was so dependent. Here was this man that was, you know, 35 or whatever I was at the time. I was so driven and yeah. I was so, so athletic. I was such this person that everybody looked to like, oh my God, wow, what else is he going to do? You know, type of mm-hmm. person. I really was that person. And and here I am dependent on everybody, on everybody. I mean, I was scared to death to be without my aides and to be without my nurses. I was scared to death to be without them. And I remember when I was being, you know, discharged. And as much as I wanted to go home, I was scared yeah. to death yeah. to go yeah. home. Don't, don't, you I have to face a whole new
0: realization there. of who am, am, yeah, now. Yeah, who am I now? Yeah, whole new world. Yep, whole new world. And so. Uh, so what would you say, what did you do to overcome yourself? What did you do to overcome those hurdles that we face? And, you know, that's what this course was that, or is that that I've been working with you guys on is overcoming myself and getting where I need to go. So how did you overcome yourself?
1: I, I, it is such a man. It's such a great question. I'll be honest. And I, I've, I've never really been asked that. And I'm really trying to put myself back in it. Um, you know, the thing probably more than anything, and, and I'll, I'll tell this, story because I really think it tells you where I was in Mm -hmm. my mind and my resolve, so to speak, and my belief that this was temporary. Mm -hmm. Um, I had my rehab doctor. Um, We had become very good friends during this time. He was, you know, he was my hero and he was saving me. And, um, again, very emotional for me because they, you know, all my caretakers, man, they just gave themselves to me and they, they never, they never let me forget who I was. Yeah. You know, they never let me forget who I was and they pushed me hard. I mean, (laughs) really hard, painfully, painfully hard. They pushed me. Um, and I remember they would say to me, listen, you have to get up out of this bed if you lay here. And I, and I didn't need a whole lot of pushing. I was pretty determined. But I mean, they would say to me, and I was in a, in a, you know, a rehab in a hospital where people didn't have legs. You know, yeah. people that didn't, no one expected them to survive. And I remember there was a man who I'm not sure what he was suffering from, but he would not get out of bed. And they asked me would you go talk to him? And I'm like, why me? Mm -hmm. And they said, because, you know, you know, you have this in you. And, you know, I talked to him the next day, he was in the rehab room and he was walking and he was screaming. I mean, he was in such pain because they were trying to straighten him up and he was leaned over like really far in a walker and they were trying to get him to take steps. And and in the in the you know the best way that I could speak at that point, I was like, "Stop it! You're killing him." And I remember uh, one of my rehab nurses coming over to me because they were like family to me, and and she said to me, "If he doesn't walk today, he dies tomorrow." And I'll wow. never forget that that she said wow. that to me. He died. He died two days later. Wow. And I said, wait a minute. And I said, what? And she said, if he doesn't walk today, he dies tomorrow. And I, I started to think that like, I need to get going here. So my rehab doctor came to me and he said, I have an idea. And I, I want to see if you're up for it. It's, it's unconventional, but I want to see you're up for it. And I said, you know, I was on the fourth floor, and I said, "You, you can literally throw me out this fourth floor window, and you can drop piles of dog shit on me, if that's what it takes me to get to walk again, I'm all in." And he mm-hmm. said, "It will not be that drastic, I promise you." Thank God. But I want, I want to do acupuncture, and I said, mm-hmm. "Let's do it." And they would be proceeded to. I think it was four times a week. They, they would put. Needles, the acupuncture needles up and down my spine. I would get 50 up and down my spine and 50 in my face. And then they would hook electrodes up to it. Now, everyone tells you that acupuncture is not painful at all. And I thought that, Mm -hmm. unless you suffer from GBS, apparently, because every single needle was like a blowtorch to my skin because my nerves were so inflamed. And when he would put them in, it was literally like a blowtorch. That is best way I can describe it, it wasn't like a knife, a knife would be kind, it oh, was wow. like a blue burning your skin. And I would just lay there in absolute tears, in terror, in tears, and in massive pain, the, the, the worst pain I have ever felt in my entire life. And I fi- I endured probably, I'm going to say I endured two weeks of that. And finally, I just said, I can't do it anymore, mm-hmm. I can't, it, it's too painful. And that no. was like the giving up. Mm-hmm. I yeah. felt I'm giving up. But thank God I lasted that long because I really do believe that was really what, you know, physically, physically saved me. Mm-hmm. But as we talk 3D and 5D, right? Yeah. It was my mind that saved me. It was. It was, it was my persistence, it was my drive, and it was my belief, number one. Number one, it was my belief of this cannot be. This is for a reason. Uh-huh. And there's, there's a reason why I'm going through this. And I'm going to do it. And that's when that's when the story started to turn. That's when I started to take the steps. That's when my arm would just move out of nowhere. Mm-hmm. And I, and I'm like, oh, okay, now we have something to work with here. But it, it really showed me what, you know, that feeling, that hopeless feeling of, you know, just being in a wheelchair and looking up all the time. Right. Looking up.
0: Right. Yeah. That was difficult.
1: Yeah. Yep. Very,
0: uh-huh. very difficult. I'm very thankful that I have a wheelchair that raises up and down because being eye level with somebody is such a difference.
1: I don't think people realize that. And I would go, I remember when I would come out and, and, you know, when I could walk and I wasn't a hundred percent, I was probably about 80%. I couldn't really run that well. I was still stumbling a little bit, but I would, I would see, you know, people in wheelchairs and everything would stop and I would go to them and I'd be like, you, you, I know, I know. I get it.
0: Yeah, I've unless been you've been in a wheelchair, you just don't know what it's like.
1: You just don't man. know. You don't know the, the, the pain of it. Number one, right. the physical pain of it was horrendous. I could not be in that chair more than forty five minutes. If I was in that chair longer than a half hour, it was it was it was so ungodly painful. And people have no clue the pain that you're in, you know. And no. and, I, and I and honestly, being a thirty five year old man and in that in that hospital floor with people that didn't have legs that you know, we're, we're, you know, older people that were dying of conditions. I was the voice towards the end. I was the voice of, you just don't understand. Yeah, yeah, you yeah. aren't that person. That person is in pain right now and you yeah. need to help them. And by you walking by their room, I mean, there is no crueler, nothing crueler than you walking by that room and without going in and helping them. Meaning, you know, the aides or the nurses or whatever, Mm -hmm. but yeah, it was, it was definitely a very wild ride and it really has brought me to, to who I am today. Um,
0: There's a reason it happened, right?
1: Without it, without, there was absolutely no doubt. And as I said to you, when we first talked, that happened for me, to me, it happened for me. It woke me up. It got me to see see differently and 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 it really started me down the road that we find ourselves on today
0: yeah and and, you know you've mentioned that comment to me many times that that things happen for us not to us and at first i hear that and i'm like you know a couple years ago i'd say this i I, i'm not supposed to be in this chair this sucks Mm -hmm. i honestly know that there's a reason i'm here now and you guys throughout the the course of this course you guys have always said that you know you wouldn't be able to talk to us if you hadn't gone through this already yourselves. And you've gone through what I've gone through. And and that's so beneficial for me to be around people who have walked this path. And, and that takes me to you and your background story and what you have come through to get to where you are right now. And wondering if you could share, share your background and your story of, of where, what got you here?
2: Yeah, so um, I was, I guess, um, found myself at, you know, 32, 33, and it, from the outside, a, a, a perfect normal life, right, with the kids and the house and the job and, and all of that, um, while inside I was dying. I was um, depressed miserable. I had had a 10-year pain pill addiction that nobody knew about, so I was essentially living two lives, um, and just keeping myself very distracted and very busy away from what I was really feeling on the inside, because that's what we find ourselves doing, um, is, is getting really busy doing all of the things, things on the outside, so we don't have to pay any attention to what's going on on the inside, and the more that we live in that stress, and the more that we live in that fight or flight, it becomes toxic in our bodies. And I had, I had that if I continued down the path I was going, it wasn't, it wasn't going to be good. I remember my mom, um, she, I lived in a small town called Kellogg, Idaho, and she had moved from Hawaii and came to live with me in in Kellogg. And she stayed with us for like a month. And I remember her saying to me, Emily, you're, you're going to get sick. Like you, you cannot keep this up. You cannot keep this life up. I was um, like pain pill addiction, like heavy pain pill addiction, just to function um, and businesses and, and in-laws that lived next to me and everything else, like I said, very busy. And I knew that there was more. I'd always known my whole life. There was more. I had, you know, at 16 had two suicide attempts, really serious suicide attempts. So this wasn't something new. I'd had what many people call like the ache or the gut, like that thing inside of you that you just can never quite heal. You can never quite feel like, why am I not happy? Why am I, I'm doing all the things that everyone told me in my life I'm supposed to do. um, And yet I'm dying inside. Like Scott was paralyzed in his body. I was paralyzed in my mind. I just, and I and I didn't see a way out. We had kids. I just never saw a way out of that. Um, and one day, I went to my mom's and she had a book on her nightstand. It was called You Are the Placebo by Dr. Joe Dispenza. And it was about how powerful our minds are, our thoughts are in creating the experiences we live every day. And I never heard anything like that. But some part of it resonated with me deep within me. It was like, this, I, I, I just, I got it. I understood it. And so the book was about different stories of uh, pl- the placebo effect in, in medications, the, the pl- placebo effect. There's many stories in that book about people who were diagnosed with cancer and died on the day that the doctor said that they would die. They did an autopsy. There's no cancer in their body. So they actually died of the thought of cancer. Mm-hmm. And it talked about how addicted we get to our thoughts and how addicted we get to the chemicals in our body, and it just all made sense to me. And so um, the practice was meditation, and so I started meditating, which I would never done before. I had never heard of any of this before, so it was really a new world to me. Um, but I, I just I started doing the meditations, and I mean, people would have would have said meditate to me five years ago. I'd have been like, okay, yeah, whatever. Um, but when I actually tried to start doing it, it was such a shit show. It was like. How do people sit for 45 minutes and, and quiet their mind when, you know, but I was, I just, you know, I was at the point, Jim, I think where a lot of people get in their life where it was too painful to keep doing the same thing. It just was too, I, I knew what that would end up in. And so slowly as I'm doing the meditations, I'm starting to do some things in my life. My mom was reading another one of his books. So I had somebody to really talk to about it. There was nobody, in that world that you could talk to at that time about quantum physics or meditation right. or anything like that. And I noticed slowly as I started doing these meditations that like, I was taking less pain pills and being okay. I was more relaxed throughout my day. I was feeling more happy, like joy, which I hadn't felt in a really long time. And um, as the further I went down that path, the more my life actually started to deconstruct and things got worse. I I'm mean, I, the marriage I was in was really dysfunctional. That started to get worse. Um but I just I was determined. And so I went to these meditation retreats and um had some experiences that forever changed me to my core and went back from them and, and just realized, oh my God, like I don't I don't have to live this way anymore. There, there's so much more to life and there's so much more to me that's available. And I um, started uncovering all the conditioning I'd been given in my whole life. I started um, getting back as as Scott said to who I really was at my core, which I thought was this person that forever would be, have low self-esteem, forever would not be able to, but you know, I I think for some people, there is a voice deeply buried within us that Mm -hmm. knows we're meant for more I always knew that my whole life, but I think the more I tried to fit into this box of this is how you're supposed to live, that, that ache got bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger. The more I deterred away from who I was supposed to be, the worse it got. I knew if I continued down the path I was, I was, I was going to get really sick. I didn't know what. I just knew my mind and my body could not continue to function the way it was. I knew- between the pain pills, between the stress, between the going nonstop. And I was young, but I, I knew I couldn't continue that way or or it would end up in yeah. a hospital. Yeah, I would end up yeah. with something. I knew that um, innately. And I, I'll tell you, there was a, a moment for me um, that was very clear. And I had been meditating for about six months, some things that had started changing in my life. But I'll never forget this moment. I was watching Oprah's soul series and she was in, interviewing diana nygaard and i don't know if you've ever heard of her but she broke the record for swimming from cuba to florida okay she did it when she was like 60 68 years old wow. she tried it four times before then she tried it three times when she was in her 20s mm-hmm. failed every time and then tried two more times in her late 60s and on the sixth time she did it she had been um she'd been stung by box jellyfish before when she tried, I mean, like everything, but she just didn't give up. And so, you know, amazing feat, right? Like, oh my gosh, she got all this accolades. And so Oprah's interviewing her a year later and she had, she had, you know, in her twenties, she was a professional swimmer and she had gone to the Olympics and all these things. And, and Oprah was asking her about, you know, how does it feel to, to accomplish all this? And she said, I swear to you, Oprah, I look at, you know, my accolades on the wall and what I've done. And she said, I think at the end of the day, when I die, the thing that's most important to me is not all of those things. It's, it's who I am as a person. Am I proud of who I am as a person? Am I proud of the things that I have done? And in that moment I went, shit, I'm not, I'm not proud of who I am. I'm not, I don't, I'm not showing my kids what is possible in life. Right. And, and I knew that I am not showing my kids what they are capable of, like what life could be. And I'm not proud of who I am. And that was a moment for me that I went, it, I, I'm the only one that can change that. I'm the only one. So I went to a med- meditation retreat, had a profound experience, came home, put myself through pain pill withdrawal, left the marriage and started to build who I am today. By choice. And mm-hmm. I can sit here and tell you, I think about this a lot. I am so proud of the person I am today. I, I, I've had to make really hard decisions um, and, as sh- and, go, and go down a path most will never go. And I'm just yeah. so proud of that.
0: As you should be. And as I say many times, this shit ain't easy. You know, this is hard work, well, you know, digging in. And I, I believe that true, true healing comes from within, but going within is where most people are afraid to go. And yeah, yeah, could you what you've had to do? There's a level of consciousness and self awareness that you need to get to. Can you yeah. talk about that? Talk about why self awareness is so important and the consciousness of paying attention to your own thoughts.
2: Yeah, so. Uh, like the biggest tool pretty much you have in change is becoming self-aware. That is, that is your key to unlock almost anything. And I remember when I first started meditating and this Dr. Joe would, Dispenza would talk about being the observer. And I had mm-hmm. no idea what that meant. I had no, like even writing down emotions that I would feel on a daily basis. I was so I was so immersed in who I thought I was, I didn't realize that I could actually separate from my thoughts. Like mm-hmm. I thought, well, my thoughts are my thoughts. Like who I am is who I am. What does that mean? I don't know what that means. So what I started to do, and you know, now we have it as, as homework in our course is at the end of every night, I would write down, how did I feel today? Like just, I would just start there. How did I feel today? And after a couple of weeks, I would see very common themes. I felt like, worthless. I felt angry. I felt sad. And those were very common themes that I felt every day. As I was starting to recognize these emotions that I was feeling every day, it would give me moments of of being able to see myself from an outside perspective. Instead of being so immersed in Emily, in in my day-to-day things, it gave me moments of separation to go Okay. That's, that, that is how I'm feeling, but I can separate for myself from that just for moments. And and here's the key in that. If you can separate yourself for moments, you have a choice then you're not, you're not immersed in it and, and thinking this, you know, like, so all of a sudden when I would get in an argument with my ex-husband, right before it would just be disastrous and and just same thing every time, turn very, very ugly. But as I started to observe myself in reactions, I then could just pause for moments at a time and, um, and and able to make a different choice in that moment. And the more that I found myself making those different choices in those moments, the more I noticed a difference in myself and a difference in the things that were happening outside of me because I was choosing different actions. I was choosing to do different things. And by doing that, the thing that surprised me the most was exactly like what I said. All of a sudden, I didn't have to take as many pain pills. I mean, I would take 10 hydrocodone at one time just to function, you know, and that would, and then two hours later, I would take 10 more just Mm -hmm. just to function. So it wasn't, I mean, that was at a level where, my body was chemically addicted to a, a very high dose of hydrocodone. Mm-hmm. And so when I noticed I didn't have to take as much, I'm like, wow, something's changing within me. Something is, this, this is doing these things and, and starting to observe myself is starting to make a difference in me. And it, and, and it was a slow process. It was a very slow process. It didn't it- happen overnight. It took a lot of moments It's like Scott shared in in his, you know, going, being in the hospital bed, it took a lot of moments of of doubt and, and depression. And like, you know, the the hardest part probably is when you start quote unquote, waking up and realize that you have a choice in your life and you have a choice in your reactions. You have a choice to build what you do and don't want, then responsibility starts to to lie more on your shoulders, which is amazing. You know,
0: it, it is. Yeah it's amazing and hard to realize that, oh my God, I put myself here. You're like, oh, that sucks until you realize that, oh my God, I put myself here. I can get myself out of here. If I created this, I can create something different. And I honestly believe that's the power within us. And that's, that's the power that our bodies have and, and what you guys are, are showing and, and so many other things that are happening that are awakening and, and people are doing this more and more. And, yeah. uh, you know, thank God for Dr. Joe, and i just feel like he's going to change medicine and the, the way this is going and and the thoughts that we have and how that affects our body uh, yeah,
2: for sure definitely
0: the uh you know in your course you talk about cutting the cords to the past and how important you know those memories are and you know i i don't know if i read this someplace or i like to think i came in with this myself but i don't know that it's <laughs> not it's not the events in our lives that shape us is how we handle them emotionally that define us, and I'd like to talk about that. About you know the things that happen in our lives they leave a mark. They can leave an energetic mark with us, and if we don't know how to handle those emotionally, we don't talk about them. We don't we don't use our voice. Then that energy gets stuck in our body, and so. Scott, could you talk about getting the energy out and how, how, what effect that has on our bodies? First of all, and then the the mode to get it out.
1: We have taken those moments when we were that little child, that six month, you know, six year old child, ten year old child, and we have taken the pain, the fear, the 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 lack, all of those things, and we have stored them in our body in a, in a way of suppressing our feelings. So your parents are having an argument, you're scared, you're hiding under the covers. You are, you know, and M's better at talking about this, but you are basically in a fight or flight moment and you Mm -hmm. are storing that energy. And it is, it's a very powerful energy. You're not letting it out. So you're storing it in your body. And then what happens is your mind and your body collaborate to use that energy and to create feelings all through your life. So they recreate the fear because the mind knows, listen, if I can get this fear to happen again, the body is gonna react and all I wanna do is make the body feel, that's my job. The mind's job is to get the body to feel, that's what I'm gonna do here. And it keeps calling back those memories of in that fear. So that fear shows up for you. It's really about detoxing from that. First, becoming aware of what's happening. And it's so simple, Jim. It's so simple. We, we complicate everything because we are, we are the human condition. We suffer from the human condition, which is overthinking. We overthink every single yeah. thing. Our yeah. minds are just, oh, absolute machines of, you know. And it really is about becoming aware of, how your mind gets your body to feel, mm-hmm. and if we can then start to detach from those feelings and understand why we're you know why we stored them in the first place, and then start to unravel all of that stress that has been stored in our body, mm-hmm. which the lovely M
0: will gladly take it from there, I am sure. M, can you explain kind of the the science behind breath and
2: yeah. how it works? Yeah. Yeah, I would love to.
0: And I like how um, you just lit so, up when I said that because you obviously have yeah, your passion. Always. So.
2: Yeah, yep, it is, yep, it is. And
0: it, it's amazing, so thank you.
2: Yeah, so for me, it, it, it's exciting because, you know, like I, I talked about my experience with meditation, right? And like, like many, 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 many months of trying to meditate, not being able to quiet my mind and, and frustrated and all of those things, right? And, and years down the road after meditation, I discovered breath work, um, originally from Dr. Joe Dispenza. And then I kind of broadened my horizons and and it opened a whole new world of like this thing called breath that we think we just do. We think it's just a part of something we don't have to think about. When I tell people about breath work, they're like, I don't know what that means. What do you mean? Like I need to learn how to breathe. And I was the same way. I was like, I don't know what that means until I started just even being conscious in a moment of how i'm breathing and a friend of mine had gone to a wim Hof retreat wim Hof is known as the ice man he has got all the, i mean science has studied him they've they've injected him with e coli and watched. he was able to uh, consciously control his autonomic nervous system his immune system response he was able to consciously control that and not have any side effects from being injected with e coli And so as more people like that, just like breaking the four minute mile Mm -hmm. are starting to use this thing called breath, all of a sudden science now is going, this thing that we thought was just an automatic process that happened in the background that wasn't a big deal, we're starting to realize is a really big deal. Most, all of diseases, except I think for 2% are caused by stress and lifestyle, right? So- your breath literally can take you from being the gazelle that's running and, and fighting for their life to the gazelle that's grazing. We don't know that we don't we don't know that we can do that that we can turn off that stress response. So think about this. When I'll, I'll give you two examples. When you're little and you were you don't get your way about something and you cry and throw a fit, right? What do your parents say to you? Stop crying stop crying, quit crying, Mm -hmm. shove it down. Mm -hmm. When you are fast forward 30 years later, your wife says something that pisses you off and and you get really angry. And what do you do? You shove it down. Mm
1: -hmm.
2: That's what you do. Right. So in the, in the mainstream way of living, we are taught to suppress all emotion. Emotion is energy in motion. That's what emotion is. So literally, animals in nature, when they go through a stress response, um, I show a video of this in our Beyond Limits course, they are able to, to release by shaking their bodies that 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 pent-up stress, that pent-up anxiety mm-hmm. in in one moment, in one time. They experience mm-hmm. stress one time and they they release that. Mm-hmm. Us as humans our boss yells at us, wife yells at us, our kids annoy us, our, all of these things. We, we don't have enough money to pay our bills. All, all of these things that release chemicals into our body. Then we go, we're just going to shove it back down and shove it back down and shove it back down and shove it back down until you're 50 years old in a wheelchair going, mm-hmm. oh my God, what is all this thing? Whatever, What is all this energy trapped in my body? Here's why I love breath work, Jim, is because- your breath is yours. No doctor has to prescribe it for you. You can use your breath in any moment mm-hmm. to a calm yourself down from being in stress, being in anxiety just by learning how to consciously control breathing in through your nose, out through your mouth, activating your parasympathetic response which is rest and digest. Mm-hmm. Why do you think so many people who are stressed out have stomach issues? Cuz their body doesn't their body can't even go into a state to to digest their food. And not only that, with breath work, as you talked about, you can learn to use your breath in your body to release those stored pent up stress emotions that you've been storing for a very, very, very long time. I look back now, it's funny, I'll observe like, you know, going to the store or going wherever and I'll see moms with their kids and their, you know, their three-year-old or four-year-old is crying and throwing a fit and you'll hear the mom, stop crying, stop crying, you know, stop, 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 stop because that's not what we do. We don't, we don't do that. And I did the same thing with my kids, right? And I look back now and go, wow, what would happen if I would have just said, all right, go for it. Let so, it start, out. Let, let me it know out. what's going
0: on. Yeah, yep.
2: yeah. Let it but- out. Let you you go. We'll talk when you're done. Right? Yeah. What, what difference that would have made to, to teach them? It's not only okay, it's absolutely vital to mm-hmm. allow those emotions to be released.
0: I have been very self-aware. I, I, have, I have always dug deep into my thoughts and my feelings. I've always been that way, but I have never been very good at expressing them. Even though I do a mm-hmm. podcast called, How Are You Really Doing? Mm-hmm. I have been hard. I've had a hard time expressing how I'm doing. I don't let my emotions out. They get trapped. With what we've learned in this course, one thing I really love is picking a name and choosing a future self of who we want to be. Why is that important in this from your guys' perspective?
2: You know, here's the exciting part about the new name. This is why it's so exciting. And I, I, I love this question. And it's one of my favorite parts in the courses is because for so long in, in, in the mainstream world, we are taught, this is who you are. Yeah. This is your genes. This is your DNA. This is how you live. You don't change. People don't change. This is who you are, right? And between the ages of, of zero to seven, zero to 10, our, our brains are mush, they're, they're in hypnosis. So anything that goes in, we have no filter. You're bad at math, you're good at gymnastics, you're, you suck at this, you're worthless, you're this, you're that, right? They go in, we don't have a frame of reference to say, no, I don't want that idea, I don't want that belief. So that becomes us. And then we think that's who we are. Just like I said, Emily was like, that's who I am. What do you mean? Like Be the observer of my thoughts, I'm Emily. All I knew is um, when the very few people in my life would call me M, when they would call me that, I would feel like this feeling in my body, like this feeling of like confidence, this feeling of like love. Yeah. And so very early on into Scott's and I relationship, when we started talking about, all right, we have to develop some kind of a program to help people the way that we've been able to change our life. And that was one of, the, it really was one of the first things that him and I knew was fundamental and change. Because here's the thing. When you start going down this path of of changing, of of becoming the observer, of of like realizing there's more, becoming someone else, you will change physically, Hmm. you will change emotionally, and you will change mentally. I promise you, Mm -hmm. science shows it, we have seen it over and over and over again, and people have come through our course. You literally become a different person. You become the person that you choose to be instead of the identity that was given to you. And so the name, what when we're born, we're given a name from our parents, right? We don't even have choice mm-hmm. in our name. Our mm-hmm. name mm-hmm. represents so much in our life and we don't even have that choice in our life. So we give people that choice. We say, okay, you're gonna start building this person that you want to be, that you can be. You're mm-hmm. gonna start creating the life you imagine.
0: Being who we can be and stepping into that power is just absolutely gorgeous and that it just reiterates what I felt in my gut my whole life that I can do this and mm-hmm. finding people finding community to do this with you know I love the people in your course that, that I've been talking with because we are oh, oh yeah and, and you know we're helping each other through this shit because it's not yeah. easy and I have a place I want to get to and I'm going to get there I will not mm-hmm. stop I will keep going until I get there because Thor would do that. And Thor is right, right there waiting for me. And as Thor, I can do this, you know, Jim has has these old problems that he thinks about. He thinks way too much about the past. Thor doesn't, you know, yeah. and I'm moving on. And so the thing that I want people to know because it, it can feel really woo woo, you know, talking about different things and yeah. power of thought can feel, can feel out there a bit, but there's a science behind it that really, I'm a science geek. I love science. I love the why of how these things are happening. And for decades, being a guy that, you know, doctors told I have this thing in my body called multiple sclerosis. That's the way I thought, you know, and if thoughts create our reality, I have thought sick. I have thought about being yeah. sick for decades. Yeah. So if I think about being sick, and that's what I do, that's who I think I am, then how am I going to be anything different? Yep. Yeah. So- And it just, is, it, it really is, you know,
1: the thing that, you know, I, I, I guess I get the task to explain what our course is about and how it works. And I gotta be honest, you, I, it, it's it's the hardest thing to describe and even us talking about it here on this podcast i know there's people there you know that are in their head thinking oh my god that's just that's crazy that doesn't you know, work you're telling this yeah. is this is it no this is a physical thing and i get that i totally get that i would have thought that for sure so do I I. Yeah. If, I, if i didn't if i have not if i have not seen what i have seen and i have seen miracles i i mean seriously miracles and you know it's It's that thing of when you get to a point where you just decide to stop being the victim and you just decide to just be the victor and to live the best life that you can possibly live. And it is that attitude that becomes contagious. And listen, there's going to be people that are going to sit on the sidelines and up in the cheap seats and say, you know what, that's just bullshit. That's just woo woo. That's just dreaming. Mm. Well, the dreamers are becoming a lot more powerful. The dreamers are actually creating healing for themselves. They're changing it without the, you know, without the modern technology of, you know, of all the, you know, the doctors and the apparatuses and all the, you know, all the drugs that can mm-hmm. do that. You have it all. You have it all. You have every drugstore in your body. You have every fix in your body. You have it. So it's a matter of we never, and I, I loved, I forget who said this. I don't know if it was Tony Robbins or oh, one of the many people that I followed. We were never handed an, an operations manual on how the human body works. We were never handed that. We got that from our parents, who got it from their parents, who got it from their parents, who got it all the way down the line, you know? Mm-hmm. And it really is just about becoming aware of what is possible and to watch somebody do it, to watch somebody step into a, 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 a doctor's office and say, I feel better. And they, do the scans and they say, the cancer is gone. What did you do? That is the, it starts off at a 0.5% and then suddenly it gets to 10% of the people. And that's when the avalanche starts. So by you, Mr. Jim, stepping into and onto our field of saying, you know what? And when you said this, it literally brought tears to my eyes. I realized that this is not a physical condition. Mm -hmm. That that was it. That was the light bulb moment that I was, it was, it brought everything worth it. Everything that I went through, it made worth it. That you saw what I saw, that you realized, oh my God, This is not a physical condition. I know how I did this. I know why I did this. And I'm not going to live that anymore. I am not going to live that anymore. And I'm going to change it and watch you. And I and you know, seeing you go through this. Listen, it brings us to tears every week to watch you guys. And, you know, the people in our community, they're they're, yeah, they're dreamers. Yeah. But they're winning they're winning. Well, so eventually it's going to get to that point, right? Where the avalanche becomes, and people are just going to say, you know what, Jim, tell me what you're doing because exactly I want exactly. to know.
0: Yes. Right? And, and I love what Dr. Joe says about, this is the four minute mile, you know, forever. People thought it was impossible to run a mile. It was the eight minute mile. Minutes.
1: Yeah. It was the eight minute mile. Right. Yeah. It was and, the eight
0: and, and then mile. Richard Branson broke it. And, you know, two weeks later, Somebody else broke it. And since then, there's been 12 or 1,400 people or more that have broken the four-minute mile. And Richard Branson laid down the footprints, literally, and said, hey, this is possible. So I ask myself, what if a lot? What if I walk? What if I get back playing softball? What if I can run? And that just fuels me because this is what if in my mind. I've been searching for putting science into why this works and then putting the pieces together that, that, you know, Dr. Joe did for me. And then you guys have helped me expand upon that to get to the next level. Uh, And a big thing is the why, the why we're doing it. And, and, you know, that's part of your courses is letting us know and choosing what is our why and how do you make your why bigger than the pain that you're going through or your why being bigger than the hurdles that you need to overcome. And for me, you know, like you, Scott, I want to fucking walk again. And so Mm -hmm. that's a why. It's also my why to dance with my daughters at their wedding. It's my why to be with my daughters and participate in life. And so can you talk about the why and how, the biology in our body, you know, how the psychology affects biology. And as we're picking and choosing what's going to make us better, Mm -hmm. how do we overcome ourselves? How do we get to where we need to get?
2: Yeah. Well, I'll touch on this. No, no. go. Yeah, no. I, I actually just did a Facebook live kind of talking about this yesterday. In the difference, I think, between the people that that will, that do do the four minute mile, that say, you know what, I'm, I'm 560 pounds and I can't live this way anymore. And I need to, you know, lose 300 pounds or the person that um, is taking 10 hydrocodone at a time just to survive and saying, I can't continue this life anymore. And I think that the difference between the people that actually lose the hundred pounds, that actually stop the pain pill addiction, that actually get up and walk and, and dance with their daughters is that why. And, and for me, that was my that was like very important that I put that in the course because you know there there's moments along your path of, of transformation. I can promise you, if you are committed to it, will show up where you absolutely want to give up. That's where those chemicals in your body that you're so addicted to will say, you can't do this. It's impossible. Nobody has done it before you. This is literally impossible. No one in your family, no one you know, like this is this is not normal. People don't do this. People don't change. People don't get out of wheelchairs that have MS that dance with their daughters at weddings. Right. People, I remember people telling me when, um, when I, when I said, I'm okay, I'm done. I'm, I'm quitting pain, but like I'm going cold turkey. And everybody in their dog told me, "You can't do that. You could die. You will feel withdrawal for forever. You need to have a doctor. you need all these things." And I went, "Nope. My why is to totally and fundamentally shift who I am. Mm-hmm. And there were moments in, in that 48 hours of withdrawal. There were been moments in the last three years that on the floor on my knees I can't move one more step forward and you know what allowed me to take a step forward is my why Mm -hmm. is that I, I have to show not only my kids but everybody in this world that you can move one step further you can change who you are you can be a dreamer you can get out of your chair we are our bodies and our we are so capable of so much more than we think that we are, and or if that you do tells life, us that, we are. It, the, exactly, exactly, and that's why I knew in those moments. For me, it was very important not to let other people's ideas of what mm-hmm. it should or shouldn't look like in. Mm-hmm. I knew I, I knew I couldn't let that in because if I started to let that in, it would start to affect me chemically. And so the why for me was was the most important part because I understood on this journey. There will be so many times you want to give up. There will be so many people that tell you, you can't do it. There will be so many times your body gives up, your mind gives up, emotionally you're drained. There will be in anything you do in life when you want to create, when you want to move beyond what you think you can do, there will be those moments. And if you do not have a why that says, I am so tired of, of living that way. More than I am scared of continuing to take one more step, you won't do it. You will be the 90% that that stop at that wall instead of the 10% that decide, no, I, I'm i going to take one more step. And the why will do that for you.
0: Uh, can you talk about meditation and why it is, I mean, it's, it's, it's hard for us to get into.
2: Most people, most days, you know, I was one of them that. It, not even in a city, I was in a tiny town. And yet um, the, the constant the constant stimulus, the constant state of fight or flight, which is our reptilian brain. I mean, that is when we go into a stress response, we are in our reptilian brain. And that's what the reptilian brain is for, is only purpose is to keep you alive. That's it. There's no reasoning. There's no creativity. There's nothing when you're in your reptilian brain. It's, it's, it's literally fight or flight. And so people are in that state all the time without even realizing that they are they don't even know yeah. that they are like tense all mm-hmm. of the time mm-hmm. only thinking of how am i gonna pay this how am i gonna do this how am i gonna be here how am i gonna be there and it's it's a, it's a it's a like he said it's a merry-go-round and meditation is just about getting out of really getting out of fight or flight getting out of the reptilian brain because you can't people think that they can reason um when they're, when they're in that state, they not only can't reason, but they can't be creative. They can't like, this is why like huge corporations like Google and places like that are implementing kind of more of these like meditation things, things like that, because they understand the creativity and the innovation that happens when people are out of that stress response is humongous. When you're in stress response, you're just surviving. And that's what most people are doing is just surviving. And meditation is about recognizing and realizing slowing down that, that fight or flight and then getting into a state of like, oh, I can actually be creative. I can actually think of this name and like actually create this life that I want. And, and meditation is one of the first steps there.
0: You guys, I am so grateful for the course. I'm so grateful for the journey that we've been on together. It all came together the way it's supposed to. And uh, I am very thankful for, for you guys doing this podcast with me. And Thank you know, you. coming out of this, uh, how do people get a hold of you?
2: So you can go to our website, which is just thefreedomproject222.com, mm-hmm. and there's tons of information on there. there classes we offer, one-on-one coaching, all sorts of different things. You can also email info at thefreedomproject222.com.
1: And what about don't we have a youtube and don't we We do
2: we have the freedom project 222 youtube channel
1: and we have our freedom project facebook page and we
2: have a freedom freedom project facebook page and group we actually have a um a closed group if you look on facebook and look up the freedom project and that's
1: honestly i I, i'll be honest i think that's the greatest place to start is the facebook group because we share yeah. We share a lot of this information. It's a great community. We do a lot of lives and we yeah. you know we share a lot of our daily events and, and you know what we're about and what yeah. we believe and we are growing a community that is that is stepping into a new realm, into yeah. a new age. And yeah. we're 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 assembling people and players mm-hmm. to come on the field to play. And that's exactly what we love to do.
0: It is so nice to have a community that speaks the same language, that, yes. that, that talks the talk and walks yep. the walk, and it, it, is some, it is a part of this course that I am extremely grateful for because sometimes I don't know who to talk to. I don't have, it's mm-hmm. having that tribe around you that believes what you Absolutely. believe, that yeah. talks the talk, and, and knowing that the people that aren't in that tribe, it's okay not to be around the people that don't agree with what you're trying to do. Because Absolutely. that's the power. The power yeah. is within us. And it, I've given my power away throughout my lifetime. And feeling it is critical. And that's how I'm going to get out of this chair. So uh, that's right. the process for Thor. It, awesome, buddy. Thor. I love it. I love it so much.
2: Thank you. Thank you for being you and doing what you yeah. do. You inspire us every day. So.
0: Well, there you have it. That is the path I'm on, and I am on it to rediscover how I am really doing all over again. Uh, Scott and M have been so inspirational for me on this path, and I'm grateful that they were able to do this podcast with me. It's been an avenue for me to open up my voice again, and it's been very worth it. It's been a big journey to get to this point, and working with people who have done it, who have been through it, has helped me keep going. This has been a process and it has not been easy for sure. Dr. Joe calls it the unknown and it can be very scary, but I know at the end of this, on the other side of this fear is freedom. And that's why I keep going. In 1910, Theodore Roosevelt gave a speech that has been dubbed the man in the arena. It's my favorite speech. And in it, he says, it is not the critic who counts Who knows great enthusiasms, the great devotions, who spends himself in a worthy cause, who at the best knows in the end the triumph of high achievement, and who at the worst, if he fails, at least he fails while daring greatly. Thank you so much for listening, and my hope is that in all that I've said here, I can spark conversation around healing possibilities, not chronic illness. In order to make the conversation real, I will continue my healing path because I want the energy to live my life again. I have things to do, and I am not done yet. I am 51 years old, and I am just now learning how worthy I am at the core. I'm opening up my heart again and learning to love myself. In the end, it's love for myself that is allowing me to change my story and to rediscover how I am really doing now.